Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done By Law, brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Good evening, this is Done By Law, our first show that we've produced remotely. I'm Marissa and it's good to be back on air. This evening we're talking about humane decarceration and other human rights issues arising from the COVID-19 pandemic. First up we've got Felix Ralph, a criminal lawyer and partner at C. Marshall & Associates, talking about a letter he wrote to the State Attorney General that was co-signed by several other people calling for a range of measures to reduce the impact of this health crisis on the prison population and the broader community. After that, we'll speak with Liberty Victoria about other human rights issues that they're watching at this time. I wanted to chat about the uh, letter that you wrote that about 119 people, I think, have signed, like criminal yeah. and legal practitioners, as well as Liberty Victoria, into humane decarceration. So what was the letter about? Basically, we view the, and I can't talk about all the 119 people, but obviously the letter was essentially calling for decarceration of all people who are really at risk of this pandemic with the COVID-19. Um, there's been, in the last sort of six years, there's been a massive increase in um, the remand population. And that's led to overcrowding. And if you introduce a, a pretty deadly disease into an overcrowded prison, it, it's going to be pretty devastating. Uh, so that's that's basically what we're calling for in the in the letter. Mm. Is that something that you feel has got political traction at the moment? Is this something that that people are currently thinking of who have the power to make these decisions? Well, for people on Twitter, there's a hashtag um, "Let them out," which seemed to start in New York. Um, they're having really terrible problems on Rikers Island. It's, it's one of the the hotspots for um, COVID-19 in terms of its infection rate. Um, it's I think it's the most dangerous place to be in America right now um, with their infections. Um, so a lot of a lot of other jurisdictions have been thinking about it. You know, you've got Iran, who I, I believe released about 70,000 prisoners. Um, each of the states, obviously, it's a it's not a federal um, issue. It's the states in the United States are they're all adopting different approaches. Um, but here at the moment, it seems to be business as usual. Um, mm-hmm. People are getting remanded for very, very minor stuff. Um, I've, I've spoken to the Herald Sun and there's been a couple of things in the Herald Sun, but basically the Attorney General said, um, no, we're not going to release people out of prisons. Um, so 
I've been speaking to a lot of criminal lawyers and people in the criminal justice system, including police officers, um, prison guards, nurses. Um, they're all really concerned. Mm. Yeah. And what motivated you to sort of identify this as an issue and um, and start the call, I guess? Well, um, I I work in a criminal law firm in Sunshine. About 30% of my work is privately funded and it's expensive. Um, I'm, I'm an expensive lawyer, but just like a GP, it can be funded by Victorian Legal Aid. And that's my other 70% of, of work that I do. I'm on call pretty much all hours of the night and I appear on the weekends as well. I'm seeing people arrested for, I can't go into specifics, but they're on bail for, you know, theft of some beverages, like a couple of cans of Coke, um, and then they are caught with a stolen um, bicycle, like a $200 bicycle, and they're remanded. That's still happening now. And that ordinarily, you know, regardless of your your political philosophy um, in terms of whether that should happen or not, I don't think it should happen, but let's put that to one side. This is now happening in a pandemic situation. So we've got officers who are arresting people, potentially exposing themselves and their families to the virus. We've got the prison guards who are accepting them into custody. We've got the lawyers who are speaking to them. We've got the caseworkers who might have to work with them. Um, they're all being exposed um, to the virus. And then you've got the magistrates who have to deal with them on a day-to-day -day basis. And this is a very... I'm not an epidemiologist and I don't pretend to be, but something about it just seems wrong that you're dragging, um, you know, lawyers into into court and all these people into court for theft of a candy bar. Um, I saw one case, it's not, not my case, but a lady uh, coughed um, and she was suspected of having coronavirus-like symptoms. Um, she was on... She was on bail uh, for criminal damage of a coffee machine because a coffee machine didn't work. So um, she hit it in frustration and it cracked. She was placed on bail for that. A couple of months later, she was found with a few grams of marijuana. Um, her case had to be dealt with without her being there. Um, and she ultimately ended up with a $350 fine. And, mm. um, you know... Lawyers are looking at prosecutors. Prosecutors are looking at lawyers, saying, "Why are we? Why are we here? This shouldn't be happening." Just taking like a, a broader lens out, when you look at the the Sentencing Advisory Council statistics, and that that's a wonderful um, organisation. It's a non-partisan organisation. It just deals with stats. Um, one fifth of all prison sentences were time served prison sentence. So when mm. something's time served, it means the court turns around and says, you've done enough time in custody, you can be immediately released. And that can be released with a community corrections order or it can just be, no, you just get a straight release. So that's one fifth of all prison sentences that were dealt with in, in Victoria. And 96% of all those prison sentences were less than six months. So you're getting a constant revolving door of people in and out of custody. And it just seems to me 
it's, it's like it's like Russian roulette, really, um, as to whether the virus will get into the prison system. If it does, it's going to be it's going to be misery, absolute misery. Mm. I can't, you know, I, I I feel nauseous thinking about it because I know what the consequences will be. So that's why I wrote that letter. And you mentioned nurses. Are you aware of any other sort of medical professionals who are joining this call and asking uh, for similar things? No, it's, it's more sort of a comment around, um, you know, prisoners, that they're not just put into some place where no one ever speaks to them ever again. Prisoners still need to be treated for various illnesses. You know, they could have an accident, they could have cancer. I've got clients with cancer and I've had clients with cancer. I've got clients who are immunosuppressed. While crime is generally a young man's game, I've also got elderly prisoners uh, there. Um, it just seems that there needs to be a more of a dynamic response um, in terms of our incarceration rates. There's, there's basically two issues. The people who are coming in for sentences of six months or less for nonviolent crimes, um, they are the people at risk of bringing it into the prison system. Then they're the people at risk of who are serving their sentences being... Um, being infected in basically we're talking about 23 to 24 hour lockdowns no visit from families um and in an overcrowded situation where you'd be looking around pretty much defenseless against the virus if it hits mm-hmm. um from a virus perspective it's probably the best place to be um but yeah. from from a human perspective it's it's um it would be akin to torture uh, i know people I know people um, think that that's a big word to use, but I couldn't think of anything worse, um, you know, knowing that it was coming and being unable to defend myself against it, especially if I knew I had cancer or if I was over the age of 70. Um, you know, it, it's, it would be it would be an absolute nightmare. And, um, you know, those people are going to have to be treated by nurses and doctors and everyone and they're at the front line as well they're the Mm. they're the people who are placing themselves most at risk um throughout this whole awful ordeal that we're all going through yeah so Mm. you mentioned specific calls for releasing um particular prisoners but you also in your letter that you wrote and was um, co-signed by several others um, Mm. called for changes to the bail laws to remove the exceptional circumstances category what what would that involve well that's that's that one-fifth of all prisoners um statistic that's really you know the bail laws basically changed there used to be old bail laws where you really weren't put in in exceptional circumstances except for when you were charged with murder or terrorism exceptional circumstances is a is the highest test that you can be in since the bail laws have changed um basically i'm not going to go through the law of it because it is it is um, mind-bendingly complex um but if you're on bail if you're on a community corrections order or even if you're on a good behaviour bond and you commit a indictable offence or you fail to appear, you are instantly, when the police get you, you are instantly placed in the police custody and you are taken before the court. Um, 
very, very rarely. I, I don't think I've actually ever seen it um, where the police bail you on their own um, on their own decision, which is what used to happen. Um, so that's why you're getting situations where people are on bail for very, very minor matters, like say um, another another case I heard about was someone was on bail for stealing some coffee, and then um, lo and behold, that same person stole some more coffee, um, you know, like a $3.50 cup of coffee or something, and mm -hmm. um, placed in jail. Um, that's what the that's what the current laws, and that's that's where it's business as usual. That's what the current laws are leading to. Now that that's for you know for everyone. It's it's. I'm not just talking about the minor offences. You know, some people are on bail and they commit a very very serious crime, um, but the vast majority of them um, are, are you know minor offences, and that's what we're sort of looking at and saying, well, should we really be doing this during a, a, a global pandemic? Um, where we're all trying to flatten the curve, so that's why we're. That's why I think it received um, a lot of traction because it was a pretty hefty um, response from the criminal justice system. You know, each of the people who signed the, those um, that letter, most the the vast majority of them, they're all frontline workers. You know, community work, uh, community lawyers, or people who work um, at law firms who do legal aid. Uh, they're all the people who, you know, are there every day. When you go into the courts, they're the people who sign that letter. Yeah. yeah. So um, we've seen some um, effect of um, or some consideration of COVID-19 in sentencing when mm. people are perhaps um, given more lenient sentences now uh, due to the impact of imprisonment potential impact mm. of imprisonment so um that that's something that is the courts can be proactive of but you're saying there's a whole run of people who they have got no, perhaps no choice about or um and then the existing prisoners who obviously are kind of trapped in the situation yeah so the the there's mm -hmm. the influx of people who are you know there for stealing bicycles and 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 people who are basically going to serve Six months or less for non-violent crimes. You know, there's not going to be a, there's not going to be a, a tear in the fabric of society if they're released, and there's not going to be violence. Um, th that's the first sort of grouping of, of people. The other grouping that I kind of think about is as well is if if you were recently sentenced um, to a to a term of imprisonment, would you receive the same sentence? Say if you were sentenced today, would you receive the same sentence if you were sentenced maybe, you know, a month and a half ago? Um, I think they need to, they they should have some sort of at least a right of appeal um, or something along those lines because, you know, I, if I was a magistrate and I was I was or or a judge and sending people to jail for three or four months without any knowledge about this coronavirus hitting, um, or if I was a if I was a family member of someone who received that sentence, I would. There would need to be some sort of streamlining because those people who are in custody, right? Uh, uh, it's fairly safe to say that they're going to go into um, very, very strict lockdown, um, and that's that's really hardcore um, 
that's that's really hardcore in terms of the toll that it takes on on people. Um, it drives people really, you know, that's what they reserve for people who are seriously violent in prisons. It's um, the ultimate punishment a prisoner can get, really, and everyone's going to have to go through it, um, which is it's pretty pretty scary stuff. Mm. Yeah. So for people now who um, who want to support this call and add their voice to it are there any particular things that you'd recommend someone doing well um you can write to the attorney general um also the minister for corrections ben carroll i'm figuring out how to do a change.org petition and i'll sign that up um and also there's the hashtag that we've been and you'll be able to follow people's tweets and, and lawyers tweets um hashtag let them out on twitter which we've been which we've been doing and also just staying engaged. Um, we're, we're trying to engage all, all media um, to look at this issue because it, it really does affect all of us because we could be doing the best possible job um, that we can as a society from, um, you know, flattening the curve. But if there's going to be a cluster of cases due to basically law and order policies that are now drastically out of date especially with um, with the, the time-served prison sentences. It really sort of affects everyone. It, it's kind of frustrating as a lawyer going in and representing people for theft of coffee or candy bars or possession of a very small amount where they're, they're never, ever going to get uh, jail sentences, but they can um, expose a lot of people to it. So just be engaged and feel free to contact me on Twitter and watch this space, I suppose. I'm probably not the most popular person in, in certain levels of the criminal justice system right now, cause, but I'm just trying to ring the bell as loud as I can because I just can't stand the thought of, of these people being infected with a virus where they should otherwise, you know, realistically not be there or have their prison sentences delayed or things like that. It just it just really sits uncomfortably with people. I think I think that's just on a gut level. If anyone yeah. feels passionately about it, they can contact me. I'm always online. I'm always tweeting, except when I'm in court. And we'll just have to keep on just have to keep on advocating for it. I think what we're asking for makes sense on a on a gut level. Um, you know, you don't have to be an epidemiologist or a scientist to figure out that it's a it's a powder keg and it's going to be a catastrophe when it hits the prison system. Yeah. Thanks so much for your time, Felix. And we'll definitely promote the change.org petition once it's up and running. You've actually chosen the song we're going to play for our break. What made you pick this song? I read about it actually on The Guardian. It's Longing by Ustad Sami. He's a microtonal singer. He's from Pakistan. And it's a dying art that he's trying to keep alive. I think there's only like a couple of people who know how to sing like it. But it's really, um, I've been listening to it going into court and people walking around with masks. And it sort of sounds like weird alien music. And when you walk around going into courts on a day-to-day basis, it gets you into the vibe that's going. It's something that you've never heard of before. And um, yeah, it's, it's quite a ride doing that when you go into the courts. So, so this is this is the track, the soundtrack to um, getting you ready for court. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like it's sort of like a it's sort of like a like a meditative thing, and it's it's um, that's what I listen to just before I go in, go into court. It's it's somewhat existentially miserable, but um, it's it's I enjoy it.
Community radio is your antidote to social isolation. Stay connected and listen to 3CR. 855 AM, 3CR digital and streaming and podcasting online at 3cr.org.au. You're listening to Done By Law on 3CR and we're talking about human rights issues during the COVID-19 pandemic. We just heard from criminal lawyer Felix Ralph advocating for humane decarceration due to the health emergency. And now we're going to chat with Julia Krinsenbacher from Liberty Victoria about other human rights issues that their organisation are monitoring at this time. What was discussed yesterday in the press conference seemed to say that there would be fines for people congregating, um, more people than the two, and that everything else was strong advice in terms of only leave your house for these reasons. But the strong advice has actually turned into also a direction with criminal consequences if you breach that direction. Um, And that was dropped at midnight last night, those new directions. It's a really fast-paced space, isn't it? What kinds of things as Liberty Victoria looking at at the moment? Well, one of the things that we're very concerned about is that it, there has to be a balance between looking after people's health and ensuring our community is healthy and that our systems can cope with the level of diagnosis of COVID-19. Um, that's important, of course, but it has to be balanced with proportionate responses to that. And at the moment, having a midnight drop of these directions with criminal consequences if you breach them, with police being the arbiters uh, of whether or not, for example, your excuse is reasonable, that it's not reasonably practicable for you to work from home, that you have to work, uh, you have to go somewhere else to work and police are the ones who are going to decide whether or not that's reasonably practicable and if they think it's not, they're going to issue with you an on-the-spot fine. That's a big concern for us that people could be saddled with a large fine in circumstances where people are already suffering financially from the pandemic um, or if they decide to challenge it they have to go to court to challenge it and if they lose they're going to get a criminal record. Um, there, there could have been civil pecuniary penalties to deal with these matters, there could have been um, other non-criminal ways of dealing with them And there's also really, when you're having such a broad range of directions issued, there's been no accompanying public education campaign. There's very little information about this and really it's putting the onus on people to go online to read quite complicated directions, people who aren't legally trained to understand them, people who might not speak English as their first language, for example, or um, might have other difficulties in understanding them and to interpret whether or not they fall into it. So that's one of our main concerns, that there are now directions in place and consequences for people if they breach them with very little education accompanying that and really we're in the hands of police exercising their discretion about those. At midnight, there was a stay-at-home direction issued, and these directions limit everyone's interactions. It's revoked any previous directions, and basically, apart from some exceptions, such as necessary goods or services, care or other compassionate reasons, work and education exercise and other specified reasons, there's a requirement that you stay at home. And if you breach that, then there are criminal consequences. One of the issues here is that you've got a legal direction, but you have people from the government or media saying something different. So one of the exceptions is exercise under the directions, which 
says a person may leave the premises to exercise but must comply with the restrictions on gatherings in Clause 11 and take reasonable steps to maintain a distance of 1.5 metres from all other persons. So, for example, that seems pretty clear. You can go outside to exercise. Exercise can be a whole bunch of things. Exercise could be a bushwalk where you're, you'll easily stay 1.5 metres away from someone else. Exercise could be driving down the coast for a surf where, again, it's pretty easy to stay one and a half metres away from someone else. But I saw on Twitter that yesterday our Premier said that you might be able to exercise, but that means you have to exercise within the block that you live. You can't go driving for miles to exercise. So there's a disconnect between what has been said publicly by the Premier and what the directions actually say. It's being put into the hands of police officers to interpret that. So are the police officers referring to the, the directions or they're referring to what was said publicly by our Premier. And I've already seen online this morning that very similar things have happened in the UK where police officers, rather than interpreting what the actual directions say, have been interpreting what politicians have said about the directions. So that's a big concern there, that there's a bit of a disconnect in some ways between what's been said publicly and what the directions say. So what do you see the role of Liberty Victoria and civil rights lawyers in this sort of situation? Well, it's very difficult for us because there has to be a balance, of course, between public health measures and civil liberties. But everything has been changing very quickly and it's very hard to uh, keep track of what things are changing. There's very little advice sought, as far as we understand it, from civil liberties group like Liberty Victoria about the possible human rights consequences about this, about the impact on people and things are just changing every day. So our role is to point out the issues with these kind of fast-moving laws, these kind of laws that some might say they have very serious consequences and helping educate the public about it and perhaps their rights. But the problem really is that things are changing so quickly that it's very hard to do that and it's very hard for people to keep uh, track of what's going on as well. We're really in the hands of of media, of um, putting these questions to the politicians and of public education campaigns. So the guidelines are available for anyone online, but in respect of any guidance about what those guidelines mean and how they're going to be enforced and what directions police are given about them, whether police are told just tell someone to go home first before issuing them a fine, for example, or um, issue them a fine straight away. There's a lot of unknowns here. So really there's that's one of the main issues. There's not a lot of places to find out about how this affects you and and what your rights are and how to stay safe and how to avoid breaching them and being saddled with uh, criminal consequences. Is there any evidence so far of the way that police are responding to these either locally or elsewhere? Well, locally it's too soon to tell. We do know, for example, from New South Wales, we saw last year into the inquiry into the use of police discretion when it comes to strip searching people that there seems to have been a misuse of that power uh, and so that's a concern there that there are other areas where discretion is exercised where that discretion hasn't been exercised appropriately. I have seen online that in the UK police uh, have been interpreting the directions in accordance with what politicians have said about them rather than with what the directions actually say. So I can't attest as to how accurate that is what I've seen um, from, I think it's a legal practitioner online in the UK. Police say you have said to people you can only go outside for an essential reason, um, but that's not quite 
what the directions say. So one thing I saw is that people have been told you can't go outside, for example, to buy Easter eggs, even though Easter eggs might be food, uh, and fall within the directions. So that there's a disconnect there again between what has been said publicly and the way that at least um, what's been said anecdotally that police are interpreting them in the UK. Well, it's clearly something that we'll have to keep updating ourselves on as the weeks go by and we'd love to have Liberty Victoria on our show again. Look, I think that mm. things are going to be changing very quickly. At least a positive in respect of the Victorian guidelines is that they have a date of the 13th of April where the directions end. We don't know what's going to happen after the 13th of April and it's definitely something to keep an eye on. They could be revoked earlier as well. But in New South Wales, they don't seem to have an end date. That's something we're definitely going to be keeping an eye on to make sure that if there is an end date, it's not going to be extended unnecessarily and disproportionately to what is required. Everything's a bit uncertain at the moment. We're going to have to see how these things are exercised in practice and mm. what effect it's going to have on people's lives. Mm. One thing that you know people have said uh, online as well is it, it seems to exclude personal voluntary uh work so for example if you if you work for an organization that gives food to homeless people but that's not the sole purpose of that organization uh you know but it's part of what you try to do to help or you might you know go out to um to deliver food to your parents who don't fall within the above 70 exception or the above 60 with comorbidity um, or about 50 if they're Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander, but you don't want your parents to go outside, so you go do the shopping for them and then deliver it to them. It's unclear whether that would be in breach of the directions, and it seems at the moment that that's not caught by the directions as well. So there's a lot of concerns there about how restrictive they are and the consequences. Um, we're going to have to see how police exercise their discretion in practice over the next few weeks. That was Julia Kretzenbacher from Liberty Victoria discussing how the government response to the public health crisis should still be balanced with human rights concerns. I've been listening to Dan Bider on 3CR. Stay listening for more great community radio. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.